So Luke 2, 41 says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress.' And he said to them, verse 49, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, this is a pretty well-known story. And it's, it's naturally one that we could look to uh, right after Christmas, of course, because it's, it's the only glimpse that we get in the Gospels into the life of Jesus between the time he was a baby and the time he was an adult. And uh, actually, it's a pretty fascinating passage in its own right, and there are a lot of, of, of awesome things to learn from this passage of Scripture, and it also brings up a whole lot of questions when we read it. And as we read through that, you probably had some questions you know, pop up in your mind. Uh, one of the first questions most of us ask, maybe not out loud, is this question. How in the world do you lose a 12-year-old boy for three days? Right? Um, <laughs> now, I've entitled this message, Losing Track of Jesus. Uh, but I, I realize that when I call it that, it's not necessarily very fair to Mary and Joseph to use that title. Because it would be really easy to kind of preach a sermon that says, all right, everybody, don't leave Jesus behind when Christmas is over, just like Joseph and Mary did, right? But it's, that's not really what happened. And it's important, it's important for us, yes, not to leave Jesus behind when the holidays are over. So that's a good application of this. But it's not really the main idea that we need to take away from this passage. Furthermore, if you're a parent reading these verses, you are much more likely to have compassion on Mary and Joseph uh, than you are to accuse them of not being careful because you know that, that this can happen to even the most diligent of parents and sometimes does. In fact, most of us parents at somewhere along the line have lost track of a child for some period of time. And when that happens, even if it's only for half an hour, which happened once in our family to a two-year-old, it is still the longest half hour of your life. And, and even though Jesus was a little bit older and perhaps less vulnerable than a toddler or, or a child that would be much younger in this instance, the word that Mary uses when she says, your father and I have been in great distress, it's a word that indicates that this has been a horrible three days for Mary and Joseph, not a pleasant time for them at all. Uh, what had happened, you see Passover, this is the Passover holiday in Jerusalem, and Passover was an incredibly busy time in Jerusalem. There's sort of an artist's rendition of it there for you. Uh, but but the this, this scene could be very chaotic. If you were an Israelite, you were supposed to, if you could, make three trips to Jerusalem every year for certain feasts. You were supposed to go up to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, but it was sometimes hard to make it to all of these. And for most families, 
if you could only do one trip, you would usually pick the Passover one because it was is the most popular and perhaps the most famous holiday. And typically you would make the trip not by yourself or just with your nuclear family, but with a caravan of people, usually your extended relatives, other people from your hometown you'd go with, so, and you traveled together, uh, both for safety and numbers, but also because Presumably you had to keep track of all these kids that might be going with you and animals and all the stuff you had to bring for your stay in Jerusalem, which would probably last upwards of a week and would involve the sacrifice of a Passover lamb for your family, which you would then eat together. This was a lamb that you could bring with you or you could purchase usually in Jerusalem several days before the holiday itself. Uh, and if you think about all the families that will be coming into Jerusalem to do this, I found a description, kind of a fun way of thinking about it, in the Wall Street Journal article last year. It said this, Imagine you are at a boarding gate for a flight to Israel several days before Passover as passengers gather to travel to Jerusalem in time for the holiday. Men and women are jammed together. Children are crying or laughing or temporarily vanishing. Now imagine that more than 250,000 families have assembled and that each family unit is accompanied by one living sheep, and that everyone has to camp out for a week in the terminal before finally boarding the plane. You are now beginning to have a picture of what Jerusalem would have been like at Passover in the time of Jesus. Josephus, a Jewish historian contemporary with the Gospels' authors, writes that on Passover, the population of Jerusalem could swell to more than two million people as Jews made pilgrimages to the temple for the annual celebration of Israel's liberation from slavery in Egypt. And for perspective, the usual population of Jerusalem around this time, Jerusalem proper, you know, the city, is about 30,000 people. So depending on the different numbers that you read in Josephus, this is kind of high, but the, the population of Jerusalem would swell to between six and 60 times its normal size over the course of the Passover week and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you can also imagine what it's like to try to get out of town, to make the trip home. That's also got to be a pretty crazy time. And you can also imagine that it would take the better part of a day at least to track down a, a preteen that you lost track of in, in the middle of all this stuff. Now typically on the trip home, what would happen was as, as, the, as the caravan would go back to Nazareth, or in this case Nazareth, or wherever you came from, the women and children would kind of travel together in one party, and the men and the older boys would kind of travel together in another group. And, um, you know, that's just the way they did things back then. And at this age, Jesus was kind of in the middle. So it's understandable that maybe each group thought that Jesus was with the other group. Uh, the trip back home to Nazareth, just to give you an idea of the mileage, was kind of like walking from here to Danville, Virginia. Okay, so not too far if you're driving, but walking to Danville, Virginia. Uh, and the party, after the first day, the party would be about approaching Greensboro. At the end of the first day, they notice that the boy Jesus is not with them, and that's when Mary kind of has her, you know, home alone minute, right? Like, oh, Jesus! And um, he's not there. Now, the, it would then, they'd have to hang out for a night, and then it would take a whole other day of walking to get back to Jerusalem, and then when they got up the next day, they would have to spend the better part of that day looking for their son, and that's where the three days comes from here, probably in verse 46. Now, Mary and Joseph were not neglectful of Jesus, um, but this reminds us maybe that sometimes we are. Uh, it's very easy to assume, as you and I go through our family's Christmas rituals and routines and, and traditions, that Jesus is somewhere among the trappings, right? He's somewhere among the stuff, the decorations, the TV specials, the relatives, the, even the special services we might attend. And, and ironically, it's very possible for us to make it through an entire Christmas season without spending any time at all thinking about Christ. So 
you know, kind of an easy application maybe, but I hope that doesn't happen to you this year. And yet I want to dig a little deeper than that, if we can, because while Mary and Joseph might not have been neglectful parents, they certainly weren't, I think it's, it's clear here that they still have a lot to learn about their son. And in particular, they had underestimated his attraction to the city of Jerusalem, and especially to the temple. And when they found him, Luke says, not only were they relieved, but he also says they were astonished. And Jesus seems to indicate by his answer to them that maybe they shouldn't have been so surprised, because he says to them, did you not know? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? That is a huge, huge, incredibly meaningful statement. In fact, it's the climax of this whole passage when Jesus says this. And I think that this statement can be understood at at least three different levels. And I want to kind of go through that with you today, talk about what Jesus says here and and what it means for us in our relationship with God. The first level is what I would call the relationship level. Remember, Jesus was born, he came into this world as a baby. And a baby does not know everything about the world or even about himself, right? Just because Jesus was God incarnate does not mean that as a human being he didn't need to grow up and and figure things out. So, So Luke tells us this much in verse 52. He says, Jesus had to grow and to develop not just in stature but in wisdom which I take to mean knowledge. Jesus had to learn things. As a human being, he had to learn about the world. He had to learn about himself. And at 12 years old here, it it indicates to us that by this time in his life, he had already learned somehow, maybe through conversations with his mom, maybe through looking at the Bible, maybe through a combination of these things, he he now knew who his real father was. And then it wasn't Joseph. Back a few years ago, uh, when Don and I were caring for our two foster sons. Every Sunday afternoon, we would drive them down to Salisbury so they could spend a few hours with their dad. And you know what? It didn't matter how that week had gone, all the positive or negative things, good or bad, that had happened over the course of the week. That visit to dad for them was absolutely far and away the highlight of their week. They looked forward to it every single week, and they got up with excitement knowing this was going to happen. Now, I don't know if Jesus got to go with Joseph and Mary to uh, Passover every year. Usually, kids were more likely to go the closer they got to their bar mitzvah to being considered an adult. But what must it have been like for Jesus to actually get to spend time at the house of his real dad? Now, he couldn't see his father, but this was the place where his real dad was often the topic of conversation and, and the center of everybody's attention And so I'm guessing even though Jesus, at the end of the story, it says he was obedient to Mary and Joseph and he accompanied them home to Nazareth without putting up any kind of a fuss, I'm sure he would have been just as happy to stay at the temple for a long time and just kind of stay there. And when his mom and foster dad lost track of him for a couple days, there was no way for him to look for them, right? What's he going to do? He doesn't have a cell phone. He can't call them. What did your parents tell you if you got separated from them? What do you do? Stay put, right? And we don't know if he was right at the temple or in that area when when they got separated, but we do know this, that when Jesus got separated from his earthly parents, he took a while to linger at his father's house. And that leads me to ask you a question that I have to ask myself all the time. When is the last time you stopped and lingered for a while in the presence of your heavenly father? Just took some time unmeasured time to be with God, just you and Him. Maybe you're meditating on a scripture verse and, and you're, you're thinking about it and praying things back to Him. Maybe, maybe you're asking Him to bring things to your mind so that you and He can, 
can, can talk about them, lifting those things up in prayer. Maybe you're taking a, a walk with him and you're just, you're just praising him for his beauty and the glory of his creation. Or, or maybe you're even walking around and thanking him for, for inventing color and electricity so you can enjoy the Christmas light display around your house. Maybe you're just sitting alone in a room with God and basking in his love for you and thinking about how much he cares for you and, and what he's done for you. And maybe you're not looking at the clock and maybe you're not thinking about what your next appointment is or, or what your next set of responsibilities is. I, I was thinking during this you know, COVID Christmas that we're having, with many of you having cut down on a lot of the family get-togethers and parties and things like that, maybe there's more time this year for just sort of hanging out with God, either alone or maybe with the ones who are closest to you. Or maybe it's just, maybe it's the opposite. Like maybe you're still kind of busy. Maybe there are still errands to run and meals to prepare and, and who knows what other things to be done at Christmas time. And I know that for a lot of you, the reason that you're running from place to place and the reason you're so busy and the reason you're doing all these things is because the last thing you want to do is to let your relatives down at Christmas time by indulging yourself by spending extra time with God. Right? But if you think about it, isn't that what Jesus did here? He kind of inconvenienced his family to spend extra time with God. <laughs> So he gives you an excuse, all right? That's the relational level. Now the next level you can think of when you hear Jesus say, I had to be at my father's house, is what you might call the learning level or even maybe the discipleship level. In John chapter 5, later on in his life, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth, the son, speaking of himself, he says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Later on in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just what my father has taught me. Kids take after their dads, right? Why? It's not always genetic. Sometimes they've been hanging around them too long, right? Well, that was a good thing for Jesus because he, he hanging around his father was God. So in order for this to happen, though, Jesus was going to have to do that. He was going to have to hang around with his dad. He was going to have to learn all about his father. He was going to have to study his, his character and his works and his ways and his word and his truth. And so we see Jesus here talking to these teachers of the law and asking them questions, and they ask him questions, and he gives answers, and they go back and forth. And we're reminded here that even for Jesus, even for Jesus, spiritual growth did not come automatically. Even for Jesus, spiritual growth did not just happen. It took deliberate effort and setting aside time to learn and to grow up as a follower of his Father. So if he needed to do that, how much more important is it for us to spend time, yes, reading the Bible, considering its meaning, reading books that help us understand the Bible better, meeting with other Christians in small groups, asking God to show us more about himself, more about ourselves in the process. I cannot think of a better time than the new year to, to make a commitment, to take some concrete steps this year to deepen your relationship with God in one of these ways. Then there's uh, one more level to what Jesus says here, more than the relational level or even the learning level. Jesus says something very very interesting here. When he says, did you not know that I must be at my father's house? It, it, it shoots my mind forward to a passage that happens later in the gospel of Luke. When Jesus is over at his friend's house, Mary and Martha, 
and they've invited him over for dinner, and, and Martha is running around trying to take care of all the things that need to be done, kind of like your house and my house at Christmas dinner. And, and Mary is, is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus tells Martha, Martha, what are you doing all this running around for? Only one thing is needful. Only one thing is necessary, and Mary's chosen the right thing. So Jesus is saying, what's really necessary is to spend time with me, not to get caught up in all the preparations. But... The, the expression that Jesus uses here in Luke 2 is even stronger than what he said to Martha. He said to Martha, only one thing is needful. Here he says, I must. Being at his father's house here is not just the best option for Jesus. It's not just the most sensible option. It's a must. It has to happen. It can't not happen. Jesus is not just talking about his priorities here. He is talking about his mission. This is mission level stuff. You see, as the boy Jesus studied the Old Testament, he was coming to realize what he would later tell the Jewish leaders and what he would later tell his own followers, that all of the Old Testament scriptures in one way or another were really about him. And so in the pages of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the psalms, the writings they called them, fleshed out in these discussions he was having with these guys at the temple, probably fleshed out as Jesus had discussions with the leaders in the synagogue back home in Nazareth, Nazareth and maybe even as he was talking to his, his, his earthly parents about God's Word. Jesus was learning, but he was learning not just stuff about the Old Testament, he was learning about his own mission what he would eventually do in order to complete the task that his father had given him. And maybe it wasn't on this trip to Jerusalem, or maybe it was. Maybe it was several years later, I don't know. But you've got to wonder, at what time did Passover start being kind of a bittersweet holiday for Jesus? What was he thinking as he saw all these lambs being led around Jerusalem as he considered they were all destined to die, to have their blood spilled out as Passover lambs, looking back to the time when God had spared the firstborn children of the Israelites and, and delivered them from captivity in Egypt. Because the faithful Jews, the most faithful Jews, the people like Joseph and Mary, they weren't just using Passover to look back on what had happened in the past. Yes, they were doing that, but they were also looking ahead they were looking ahead to a future Passover lamb who would deliver them not merely from human oppression but from sin itself. Only this lamb would not be an actual lamb. This lamb would actually be a perfect, spotless human being. So at what point, have you ever thought, at what point did the light go on for Jesus? At what point did he realize that he himself was destined to be the ultimate Passover lamb? who would one day shed his blood for the sins of his mom, his foster dad, his brothers and sisters, the teachers in the temple, the crowds in the streets, the Roman soldiers who were patrolling the temple mount, for all the other people around him, and for you, and for me. At what point did that light go on? And what was it like for Jesus, at whatever age it actually happened, to embrace this mission? that his father had given him. The mission to die is the Passover. So as you spend some time over the next few days meditating on what Jesus has done for you, considering his death and resurrection, and remembering that that, that, that was the central moment, certainly, in our redemption, but that was also the culmination of a long journey 
that Jesus started way back in Bethlehem, but it took a lot of twists and turns along the way, including here. And it was a fascinating and painful journey to the cross that lasted years and years. But now we can look back and say, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. He did it. He actually did it. This, the, the way is open. Your sins can be forgiven. My sins can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. And God can now be our Father as well. Isn't that awesome? Because of what He did. Let's pray.